It's time for America Outdoors Radio, the show that covers the outdoor scene across the U.S. of A. and the entire continent. Fishing, hunting, conservation, outdoor recreation, and great destinations, we cover it all every week. It's your country, your outdoors. Let's explore it together with your host, John Cruz. We are starting things off today congratulating Jeff Gussie Gustafson. He just won the Bassmaster Classic that took place last week on the Tennessee River near Knoxville. Gustafson is the first Canadian to win the Bassmaster Classic, and he did it by weighing in a three-day limit of over 45 pounds of bass. Gustafson was actually targeting smallmouth, not largemouth bass, and established a healthy lead the first two days of the competition. That second night, though, brought a cold front in, and the bite dried up for Gustafson on day three. In fact, he only brought in two smallmouth bass to the weigh-in on the final day, but it was still enough to beat second-place finisher Brian Schmidt and third-place competitor Scott Canterbury, who both weighed in 40-plus pound bags of bass. Gustafson earned himself a $307,000 check for his classic win, which translates to, oh, around $400,000 Canadian dollars. A lot of folks don't know this, but two days before the Bassmaster Classic kicks off, the Bassmaster Kayak Championship happens too. This event also took place in Tennessee, but in a different part of the Tennessee River, that being Lake Chickamauga. The winner of this two-day event was Russ Schneider's, who has lived in the volunteer state the last 10 years. The competition is different for kayak anglers than regular bass anglers, whereas the typical bass tournament weigh-in involves putting fish in a live well and then taking them to a weigh-in station to weigh your five largest bass. Kayak anglers don't have live wells, so they measure the fish instead and release them. Schneider's limits of bass measured out at 180 inches, beating out the other 131 kayak anglers to become the champion. Oh, and if you're wondering what lure Schneider's used to win, I can tell you he caught 9 out of his 10 bass with a 7-inch Bass Mafia dangerous swim bait. Congratulations are also in order to Brian Thrift, who won the Major League Fishing Red Crest Championship in the middle of March. This tournament took place at Lake Norman, North Carolina, which is actually Brian Thrift's home turf. And he was the favorite coming in, but that doesn't mean it was easy. However, he used his live scope, and actually there were Humminbird products, the Humminbird Mega Live and Humminbird Mega 316 Imaging to basically find those fish, get right on top of them, and catch limits all three days. He also won $300,000. According to the editors at Wired to Fish, the key baits for Brian Thrift were the Z-Man Jackhammer Chatterbait, a Damiki Underspin, Paired with a Damiki Armor Shad, a Fitzgerald football jig, and a unnamed 5.8-inch swim bait. Accepting the trophy, Thrift said, I'm just so happy to get this win on my home lake in front of all my friends and family. As he wiped away tears, he continued, Lake Norman has been awfully good to me over the years. Sticking with fishing tournaments, we have some tragic news from Ohio at Hoover Reservoir. The Hoover Cats Club was having their first catfish tournament of the year, and it did not end well last weekend. The forecast was for high winds, and it held true with high winds to include gusts of up to 58 miles an hour. Add to that fact that you can only have an outboard that's less than 10 horsepower 
and you've got a recipe for disaster if you're out on the water. One of the boats swamped in the high winds, the boat of the tournament director no less. One angler made it to shore, but the tournament director, Shane Henderson, did not. Our condolences go out to Henderson's family, and if you're inspired to help, there is a GoFundMe page to help with memorial expenses. This is also, unfortunately, a couple of hard lessons learned. Those fish we love to catch are fun to go after, but they're not worth risking our lives for. I've fished some tournaments where the weather has been rough, but nothing like this. And, you know, when you know the weather like that is coming and then it starts to show up, the best thing you can do is the tournament director cancel the tournament. It literally would have been a lifesaver if he did. Second point, I don't know if Henderson was wearing a life jacket or not, but if you're fishing in rough weather... Don't take that jacket off when you get up to cast off the deck. Just keep it on because you just might have a fighting chance for survival if you go into the drink. Our thanks to the Dieter Melhorn Fishing Podcast for this information. And continuing with tournament news. It's time for the Trail of Shame. Shame, shame on you. Shame, shame on you. Stories of poachers, scoundrels, and other ne'er-do-wells, so if you see someone committing a criminal act on the water or in the field, turn them in. It's the right thing to do. It's time to revisit a couple of cheaters who have previously walked along our trail of shame. Those cheaters would be Jacob Runyon and Chase Kaminsky, the not-so-dynamic duo of tournament walleye anglers who were caught red-handed at a weigh-in during a Lake Erie walleye trail event with fish that had their bellies stuffed with lead weights and walleye fillets. The two pled guilty in an Ohio courtroom to one count of cheating this past week, which is a felony along with a misdemeanor count of having unlawful possession of a wild animal, presumably the fish they caught. Sentencing is scheduled for May 11th, but they are already suffering financially because the fishing boat the two owned and competed in at this Lake Erie walleye tournament, it's been seized and forfeited. Runyon and Kaminsky are probably a little upset about that, but they shouldn't be too hurt because it's not like they're going to be allowed to enter any fishing tournaments for the rest of their lives. I think it's fair to say they are persona non grata when it comes to that. Here's hoping the judge puts the hammer down on these two who have been suspected of cheating in tournaments for quite some time now. In the words of Sean Connery, acting as James Bond, cheaters never prosper. That's a whole lot of news to start off the show, so let's pivot and tell you who our guests are today. In just a few minutes, you'll hear from one of my favorite people. That would be Brian Hendricks, the longtime outdoors writer and editor for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette and the author of a great new book called St. Tom's Cathedral. He's going to tell you about some of the great fishing and hunting opportunities waiting for you in the month of April in Arkansas. And if you're like me, it's going to make you want to get outside in the natural state in the weeks ahead with either a fishing pole or a shotgun in hand. I was looking for someone to interview about training your bird dog during the off-season because even preserve hunting is closed around the country at this point, and those dogs are essentially unemployed until late summer at the earliest. That's when I ran across an interview I did with Scott Linden on this show about three years ago. And listening to it, I realized this longtime bird dog owner and trainer and the host of Wing Shooting USA shared some timeless advice during that interview that is so good, I thought you would want to hear it again today. Our final guest, that will be my longtime friend Rachel Voss. 
Like me, she lives in Washington State, and she is a passionate hunter of both big game and birds. She's also a conservationist who has volunteered with the Mule Deer Foundation, the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife, and actually took it upon herself to mentor women to get into hunting, which included a recent hog hunt in Texas with several women. Well, all of her efforts have been noticed in a nonprofit organization called the First Hunt Foundation. This is a national organization which is all about getting folks into the sport of hunting, has hired her as their new national director of their Share the Heritage program. Yes, I pronounced that right. This program is all about getting women into the field. Get it? Heritage? Yeah, I knew you would. At any rate, we will talk to Rachel about the First Hunt Foundation and her new role, and I think you'll definitely want to stick around for this conversation. Now that you know what's coming up, it's time for a very short break and a word from our sponsors, and then we will be right back to talk to Brian Hendricks about April fishing and hunting in Arkansas. been telling you about Sportsman's Cove Lodge in Southeast Alaska for a while now, and there's a reason. They are the only Alaska Lodge we talk about in this show. It's because they're truly Alaska's best lodge. The adventure starts with a float plane ride from Ketchikan, after which you'll get the chance to experience some of the best hospitality, food, and wonderful people you'll ever meet. Wildlife is abundant, from bears and deer to eagles and whales, and let's not forget the reason you're here, the fishing. Halibut, salmon, lingcod, rockfish, true cod, and more. It's all waiting for you in abundance at Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Book your trip today at alaskasbestlodge.com. That's alaskasbestlodge.com for Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Ready to step up to a quality-built rifle or shotgun that's a true classic? Check out Henry Repeating Arms, American-made. There's over 200 models to choose from in a variety of finishes and calibers for hunters and target shooters. Many of these are lever-action models with a look right out of the Old West. Don't be deceived, though. Henry Repeating Arms are modern, rugged, accurate, reliable, and have a lifetime guarantee. Find out more and order a free catalog today at HenryUSA.com. That's HenryUSA.com. Come explore the Dalles in Oregon for outdoors fun. Hike amongst the wildflowers, bike our riverfront trail, or visit the Gorge Discovery Center where you can enjoy a live raptor display. Or even check out our National Neon Sign Museum. But don't forget the fishing. We've got salmon, steelhead, bass, walleye, and monster-sized sturgeon waiting just for you. When the day is done, tell those tall tales at one of our wineries, breweries, or restaurants and plan your next adventure. Find out more at explorethedalles.com. In today's news, I'm cooking a brisket. Let's go to Jill at my house to see how it's going. This is your house and you brought me and the crew to check on your brisket? That's correct, Jill. How's it looking? This is a Camp Chef Woodwind Wi-Fi. You know you, you can check your cook right from your phone, right? I didn't know that was an option, Jill. Well, never mind. But before you leave, can you feed the dog? What? No, no. When we get back, why is my check engine light on? The answer may shock me. 
You're back in with America Outdoors Radio, and it is April in Arkansas. All sorts of things going on there this month. That's why I thought we would check in with Brian Hendricks. He is the outdoors editor for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette that is published out of Little Rock. And he is also the author of a great book, St. Tom's Cathedral, that's all about turkey hunting and, frankly, all about life, too. Brian, great to have you back on the air. Always good to visit my friend John Cruz. How are you? You know, I'm doing okay, and I'm very looking forward to doing some more fishing this month, especially when it comes to trout and bass, and I'm guessing there's probably some trout and bass fishing going on in Arkansas this month, too. Yeah, it's funny you mention that because I'm planning a trip right now to the White River in North Arkansas this week, and uh, everything is going good there. We've had a lot of rain, a lot of water coming in through the rivers. That gets the fish moving, gets them feeding. You know, they're kind of done with their spawning uh, activity now, and they're in really great shape. And this is a good time to be up there fly fishing big streamers or trolling stick baits is one of my favorite things to do. A good time to catch a big one, a big brown trout. And that was pretty my question. That, John, I know the, the White River's known for its big brown trout. Are there any other species of trout, or is it all brown trout there? Yeah, there are rainbows in there, too, and they have increased the minimum size that you can keep them. Forever, that was a put-and-take fishery for rainbows. Uh, it was managed for trophy browns and for people to come around and get their limit of rainbows and cook them up. Well, they've, they've increased the minimum size that you, can, that you can keep there now, so it's becoming known now for big rainbows. I got a certificate a couple of years ago for a 22-inch rainbow trout that I caught there, and, and so that's becoming a big thing. There's also Bonville strain cutthroats in there that are very popular, and every now and then you can still catch a brook trout. They did stock them in there. I don't know if they still do, but they're still around. I'll be darned. I've always had a soft spot for brookies. I know fisheries biologists tend to not like them, but I've always enjoyed the fight and the color and everything else about brook trout. Let's talk about bass because, well, and crappie too, because uh, those both should be heating up in terms of those fisheries. Yeah, one of the interesting things about Arkansas is that you know, we have a lot of uh, latitudinal lines here, and so what's going on with bass in South Arkansas is not what's going on in North Arkansas. For example, a guy, uh, his name is uh, Bobby Rush from Crossed Arkansas two weeks ago, or in late February, caught 15.36-pound largemouth bass in a little lake just south of the Arkansas line in Louisiana called Bussy Break. That was a pre-spawn fish. They're probably right in the spawn. Now they're on their beds. And as you get up to where I am in central Arkansas, they're in the pre-spawn now. They're not. They're circling around. They're getting ready, but they're not there yet. If you go to Beaver Lake and Bull Shoals Lake and Table Rock in north Arkansas, you're still in a winter pattern. It's still cold, and the fish are deep, and they're starting to think about the spawn, but they're not in it. But they will be probably in another two and a half, three weeks. Let me ask you a question. Uh, this is probably something you've written about before in the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Tournament fishing at places like Bull Shoals and Table Rock. Do you think that is affecting the bass populations there in terms of decreasing them despite the catch-and-release ethic that bass anglers have? You know, I don't think so. In fact, Bull Shoals is at a real high mark right now. One of the things that happened there, John, a number of years ago was that in order to uh, increase the level of dissolved oxygen in the trout fishery below Bull Shoals Dam, it took 20 years to do this. It really did take an act of Congress to redo the way the, the water is managed there, but to create a an additional reservoir of water to have a minimum flow coming through that dam all the time, they had to raise the level of Bull Shoals Lake up several feet. 
So what happened there was they inundated a bunch of shoreline that had not been exposed to water before, and it really refertilized and regenerated uh, bass habitat in that lake. So it's probably as good as it was back when it was new. And, and for many years, it was a dead sea. Oh, so Bull Shoals is at a real high, and, and Table Rock is just unbelievably good. It's It's phenomenal. Beaver Lake, because of the way it's sort of the regulation uh, pool for the other two lakes, it's up and down. It's a very good lake, but it's also kind of small. So not as productive and not as fertile a fishery as the other two. But tournament stuff, I don't think, bothers it. They're not having – you know, they have a lot, but I don't, I don't think that it affects it that much. And I tell you what, if, if they would all go to the major league fishing format of catch, weigh, and release at the boat, I think it would do such – great things for all of the bass fisheries and really kind of take a black eye off of the sport. You know, I can't disagree with that assessment at all. Let's face it, folks, if you're hauling around bass in a live well all day, you're going to have some mortality. And I, and I love that whole catch them, weigh them, release them, because it does ensure the best survivability for those fish that you're catching. Let's talk about turkey hunting, because that season's kicking off, what, the 17th? 17th of April. We have two turkey zones in Arkansas, but both of them start on the 17th. One of them ends a little uh, earlier. And everything is going, the way spring is shaping up here, you know, turkeys are gobbling a lot and there's a lot of activity. A lot of people are seeing birds. And our turkeys, you know, have been in a down cycle for probably 15 years. In the last two to four years, things have been really good. So we're starting to see a lot of young birds. We have now in the woods a lot of two- and three-year-old birds out there. So it's looking up here quite a bit, and our, our habitat is in really good shape. And I'm looking forward to this season in a way that I haven't in quite a long time. When it comes to hunting turkeys in Arkansas, is it mainly a public lands affair, or are you knocking on doors and trying to get permission from uh, landowners? It's kind of a it's kind of a three prong thing. The Game and Fish Commission here regulates turkey hunting on wildlife management areas by a uh, a lottery thing. You have to enter a lottery and and draw a permit. That's how they regulate how many people are out there. And of all the people that draw permits, a very few. For example, I drew one for a place called Madison County Wildlife Management Area a couple of years ago. Uh, I don't know. They probably issued 40 permits, and I killed the only bird. Uh, I think there were three birds that were killed on the entire area during the two-week hunt. So that's how they do even though there's a lot there. So they regulate it that way on the state-owned areas. For the federal-owned areas, that's free. You know, you just go and do. And uh, if you're lucky enough to get away from everybody, you can work a bird and get one that way. But it's very hard. And then the rest of it, you know, 90, I'd say 95, 96% of the state is privately owned. And one-third of that, where I hunt in the southern part of the state, is all, you know, timber company land, and it's all leased out among clubs. And so it's very hard to get access to any of that unless you belong to a club. But there's a lot of birds down there. And it's a great deal of my book, St. Thomas Cathedral, took place there. South Arkansas produced a lot of that, a lot of the copy for that book. And uh, so that, it's both ways. Now, if you go into the Ozarks, you know, you got your mix of state-owned land, federal land, and private. But if you do your homework, you can do really well no matter where you are. All right, we're going to have to leave it at that. But as you just heard, folks, a whole lot going on in Arkansas, whether you're after big brown trout or big bass or maybe want to hunt up a gobbler, and you really should pick up a copy of Brian Hendricks's book. It is St. Tom's Cathedral. It's about turkey hunting and about life and all the curveballs it throws at you, too. Brian, thanks so much for sharing this with us today on America Outdoors Radio. 
Thank you, John. It's always a pleasure to uh, talk to you. You know, treasure your friendship. And, you know, whenever I hear from you, it's just a treat. It goes both ways, Brian. This portion of the show is brought to you by our friends at WorkSharp. And if you are hunting this fall, you know the importance of a sharp knife. You're going to need it for gutting that animal, butchering that animal, taking the hide off that animal, and there's a good chance you have to sharpen it more than once while you're doing these things in the field. That's why a pocket knife sharpener or the guided field sharpener from WorkSharp are great items to have with you. Whether you're after deer, elk, pronghorn, or bear... A sharp knife helps you get things done after you drop that animal. Look for WorkSharp products at sporting goods stores, hardware stores, and ranch and home stores near you, or online at WorkSharpTools.com. That's WorkSharpTools.com. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nationwide nonprofit organization dedicated to providing hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under who suffer from life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. These adventures make big differences in the lives of those who participate in them, and in many cases are literally a dream come true that brings hope and therapy to their lives. Find out more, get involved, or donate today at huntofalifetime.org. That's huntofalifetime.org. Huntofalifetime.org. Our next guest on the show is a person I've looked up to for a long time. He is the former host and producer of Outdoor Life Radio and Field and Stream Radio, and quite frankly, is my inspiration for getting into this crazy business called Outdoors Radio. His name is Scott Linden. He has moved on to television, and he hosts a very popular show called Wing Shooting USA. Scott, great to have you back on the air. You're very kind. Appreciate the compliments. And uh, yeah, I miss radio a little bit, but I'll talk about that in another show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Well, it's, it's always a pleasure to get you when I can. And we're in the off season now. Most of the preserves are, are closing for the year. We've got a ways to go until we can hunt this fall. And as we speak, my Springer Spaniel is asleep at my feet. Uh, what do we do with our dogs during the off-season to get them off welfare so they're actually earning their keep? Glad to answer that question because I, uh, I'm coming off a, a weekend of training with my versatile hunting dog club. We have, have a training day every month during the spring and the summer, and it was refreshing and it was a good reminder of this very topic. But let's go back a little bit farther to when you pick up your dog from the breeder or however you get your dog. And let's remember that dogs learn all the time. From the day they are born to the day they die, they are learning. They're learning good things or they're learning bad things. 
uh, but they're always learning. So we've got to keep them sharp. We've got to keep them on their toes. I guess technically they are plantigrade animals, so they're always <laughs> on their toes. But that's <laughs> so. And in the last five years or so, I've really hit on something. Yes, we need to keep our dogs in peak physical condition. They are elite athletes. We see the consequences of not doing that every opening day. Oh, yes. I won't lecture anybody about that. But um, we also need to keep them mentally sharp. And sometimes that's really how you keep a dog from going stir-crazy in the off-season. Or even a long weekend when you don't get to hunt during the season. Dogs are incredible. And, and I found, I'm on my fifth German wire hair, I found that the biggest obedience and discipline problems arise when the dog hasn't had enough exercise or hasn't had enough mental stimulation. So if I do nothing but save you from gnawed table legs with this <laughs> advice, it will be worthwhile. So there's a bunch we can do, John. And the first is affiliate somehow with a training and testing organization depending on your breed. If you're a retriever guy, there's the hunting retriever club. There's a bunch of others. Spaniel people have their own. The pointing dog people have a million of them. The AKC has one for everybody. But what you want to do is associate with an organization that has a local chapter. And the reason for all of that is twofold. First off, you have a bunch of friends you can cry in your beer with at the end of the day or just for fun. You can train with them and you can learn from them and vice versa. And we'll get back to that. And you have a goal. The goal is I'm going to put my dog into that hunt test or that field trial, and so I better start training so that I have at least a chance of passing that test. That's great advice. You know, you've actually already filled up my off-season chest with that right there. But for the person that, that maybe doesn't have the ability to do that, to join one of those clubs, you know, I've always heard, give your dog 10 minutes a day, running through some basic obedience drills, some some basic, you know, fetch drills. And, and if you do that and that alone, that may be enough. Do you think that's true yeah. or do you need more? Well, the more the merrier, and especially when it comes to keeping your dog in peak physical condition. But yes, little bits here and there, and you, you talk about 10 minutes, even for a, an experienced mature dog, 10 minutes at a time is probably plenty. Just do it several times a day. You know, I do it when I'm drinking coffee first thing in the morning, my dog, and he's a pointer, he needs all the help he can get retrieving. <laughs> so we, we run a couple retrieving drills in the house just to, just to start the process every day so that they're already learning first thing in the morning. The other thing is don't be a greedy owner. Ten minutes may be too long. Ah. My, my rule of thumb is, okay, skill A, whatever skill A is, walking at heel or you know, a triple blind mark, three is plenty. If you can get a dog to do it right three times, quit. Go on to something else because the dog's going to get bored and he'll start phoning it in and, and all of a sudden it's going to be crappy instead of good. So don't be a greedy owner. And then the other thing about this whole idea, whether it's off-season or not, when you're training skills of various sorts, think about the continuum. you got an 18-week, 20-week-old puppy, and you're working on recall. You want that dog to come to you every time. 
Well, for a while with that puppy, you got a long check cord on it, and you're you're talking to it in a squeaky voice, right. and you really want him to do it. So he comes to you, and then you love him up, and you pick him up, and you hold him, and you you reward him in all these ways. Maybe you're working with food treats. I love food treats because I've always got a snack in my pocket. <laughs> but you know, whatever you're doing at that age. Eventually, that dog's going to mature, and he's going to need less check cording. He's going to need less food treats. He's going to need you to speak in your real voice instead of the mommy voice. Right. Um, All that stuff. But, hey, as an aside, all the women trainers that I've seen out there handling dogs use that same voice even with their mature dogs, and it works. So remember that. If If you ever reach a plateau, raise the bar. You know, a dog gets bored. Like I said, they get, you know, they start phoning it in. So if you're doing a uh, a single mark retrieve and he's watching that bird go down and it's at 20, 30 yards, well, take it out to 50 yards or make it a double or make it a blind or pop off two shots before the dog is allowed to retrieve. Whatever ah. it is, keep raising the bar at every level. Well, Scott, you have completely motivated me to get my dog out of the studio and outside for some drills as soon as we're done talking. Two quick things I want to hit on. We've literally only got like about a minute left. You are teaming up with the National Shooting Sports Foundation through a website called wingshootingusa.org that sends people to places where they can hunt, specifically preserve hunts. Yeah, that, you know, the whole TV show started because I was walking around at the SHOT Show after I left the Outdoor Channel, and those guys at the NSSF came to me and said, what are you going to do next? And I said, I'm making a TV show about bird dogs. They said, we'll take it. And so they became the first sponsor. All I had to do was name the show Wing Shooting USA (laughs) and promote wingshootingusa.org. Because, you know, way back in the day, that was, you know, 12, 13 years ago. That was the first recruitment, retention, and reactivation effort anybody had ever done. The whole goal of the show was show people how fun it is to go hunting and play with dogs. So go to that website, and you'll find places to do that. Some places where you can always get a reservation, always know there's going to be birds out there, always know your dog's going to get some payoff for his work. That's what wingshootingusa.org is all about, and, and it works works really well (laughs) (laughs) one last thing where can people watch your show wing shooting usa you're on all sorts of different channels now including a new and impressive one yeah we're on several of the discovery channels which is uh is a feather in our cap Uh, i lay most of the credit for that on my production crew of tad and lynn and some other folks who pitch in periodically but the easiest thing is go to my website scottlindenoutdoors.com Click on where to watch, and then you can find out the times, the days, uh, the times of year, because we rotate through some of those networks uh, depending on the time of year. That's simpler than telling everybody in July we'll be on the Discovery Networks, which we will. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We have got to leave it at that. But again, folks, the TV show, Wing Shooting USA, go to scottlindenoutdoors.com to find where you can watch it and when you can watch it and get some popcorn, put your dog next to you, and enjoy. Scott, thanks for all the great advice on America Outdoors Radio. My pleasure. Planning a day at the range or plinking targets with your friends? Or maybe you're looking to do some small game hunting with a rimfire rifle. 
either way. They're going to be impressed when you show up with a Henry Golden Boy lever action rifle. This beauty has a brass light finish, a wooden stock and grip, and a blue 20-inch octagon barrel that makes this rifle handle great, and it is accurate too, especially for offhand shooting. Want to up your Golden Boy rifle game? You can order a deluxe engraved edition or one with a personalized inscription. Like every rifle manufactured by Henry Repeating Arms, this has a lifetime guarantee. Find out more about the world-famous Golden Boy Rifle and order a free catalog, too, at HenryUSA.com. That's HenryUSA.com for Henry Repeating Arms, made in America and a proud sponsor of America Outdoors Radio. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nationwide nonprofit organization dedicated to providing hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under who suffer from life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. These adventures make big differences in the lives of those who participate in them, and in many cases are literally a dream come true that brings hope and therapy to their lives. Find out more, get involved, or donate today at huntofalifetime.org. That's huntofalifetime.org. Huntofalifetime.org. Why book at Sportsman's Cove Lodge? Why is Alaska like no other place on earth? It hasn't changed in thousands of years. From the way you get here on a float plane to the way you go out with the guides and the boats, it's just a professional experience. And I said, this is as good as it gets. I said, if you can't catch fish here, you can't catch fish anywhere. Your experience with us will leave you speechless. Book now at alaskasbestlodge.com. Hunting and fishing are exercises in hope. Before you head into the woods, you hope to tag out on a deer you'll have to field dress. Before you make that first cast, you hope for a big fish to clean and fillet. When your hopes are realized, you'll need a sharp knife. Whether you sharpen that blade on a power sharpener in the shop or a manual sharpener in the field, WorkSharp has the tool for you. Look for WorkSharp products in sporting goods stores near you or online at WorkSharpTools.com. Attention small business owners, this could be the most important 10-minute call you will ever make. You could recover up to $26,000 per employee today. And all you have to do is make one short 10-minute call to take your business up a notch or bounce back from these difficult couple of years. Omega Accounting Solutions can help you recover any payroll tax overpayments you made during the pandemic. You may even be eligible to receive up to $26,000 per employee. All it takes is a quick, easy, free 10-minute ERC consultation to determine if you qualify. Omega is the small business champion with teams dedicated to maximizing tax credits. They know their stuff so well that CPAs and payroll companies even turn to Omega for ERC tax guidance. Call 800-300-9ERC. That's 800-300-9ERC. 1-800-300-9ERC or visit omegataxcredits.com. Backcountryhunters.org. Join the fight for our public lands and waters today. Welcome back to America Outdoors Radio. For our final segment today, we are checking in with an old friend of mine. Her name is Rachel Voss. She lives in southeast Washington. She is a passionate 
hunter for both big game and turkey and also waterfowl. She loves duck and goose hunting and she is also a conservationist. She has volunteered for the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife, the Mule Deer Foundation, and she has a brand new job with the First Hunt Foundation. Rachel, congratulations and welcome to the show. Hey, Don, thanks. So why don't we start off talking a little bit about how you developed your love for hunting? Well, you know, it started when I was young. And you've taken that love of hunting, and you have made it a mission to share that with others. You've just on your own decided to to mentor women hunters, which includes trips not just in Washington State, but far afield. You just got back from a, a trip to Texas hunting hogs, didn't you? I did. I did. So we've kind of chatted a little bit about this before, but I kind of took on a a one-woman mission, and it started with one hunt locally here in Moses Lake, Washington for geese, and I thought, this is really cool. I brought a lot of women together, and then it moved to a couple more and a few more each year. Then I started working with outfitters outside of the state. And it got to the point where I was putting on several a year, bringing many women together over, you know, 80 last year. And I love it. I absolutely love it. And it's been a great thing. And it's caught on. And everybody else loves it. And the hunts have become so popular. Well, your efforts have certainly been recognized, especially by the First Hunt Foundation. You've been named as the new National Share the Heritage Director. Uh, It's supposed to be Heritage, but it's spelled capital H-E-R because your mission is to get women in the field, isn't it? Right. So for those that don't know about First Hunt Foundation, it establishes mentors clear across the nation. So they provide a mentor-based hunting experience to youth and others. Share the Heritage, capital H-E-R, yes, it is their women's mentor program, which is underneath the umbrella of the First Hunt Foundation. Let's talk a little bit more about the First Hunt Foundation. This is a relatively new nonprofit organization. Right. So you could call them new in the grand scheme of things, I suppose. You know, some nonprofits and programs have been going 30-some years. So First Hunt is young. You could call it that in the grand scheme of things, since some of these have been going, you know, 30-some years. Um, They are a great program. You go and you can sign up as either a mentor or a mentee or, you know, to volunteer in general at an event. The mentors are ran through a pretty vigorous background check, complete federal background check, obviously. And then they are paired up with the mentee in their area that is wanting to go out and, and learn and learn how to hunt and get those skills. That's fantastic. Now, the First Sun Foundation, their headquarters is in Kamii, Idaho. But like you said, they're operating all over the country, aren't they? They are. Um, various states, they have grown tremendously. I can't tell you off the top of my head the exact amount of volunteers, but I want to say they're over 900 now, which is awesome. Just so awesome. And I'm excited is is stepping into this role to get the Share the Heritage program rolling at an even faster pace and get more women mentors out there because that's what we're lacking. You know, this demographic is growing so quickly and we need leaders. We need more women that are have the hunting knowledge and the experiences that, that they can share with these young women coming in as they start their journey and learning how to hunt. 
You know, you're absolutely right about that. And and a lot of women just were never exposed to hunting like you were. And if you're if you've never been exposed to hunting or you come from a family that doesn't hunt, it's pretty daunting and challenging yeah. to get in the sport yeah. with, with no knowledge. So I think a program like the one that the First Hunt Foundation has is fantastic to accelerate that learning curve and just introduce people to the sport. I'm guessing there's two ways this works. Number one, mm-hmm. you know, you just either link up the mentor or the mentee. They have a conversation. Hey, let's go to the, you know, the cornfield that I have, that my neighbor has. He'll let us, you know, hunt some pheasant and I got a dog. I mean, I guess that's one example of how it could work. But mm-hmm. you also have events from time to time, too, where the mentors and mentees get together, too. Right. And, you know, I guess ideally, and this is will be something that I will be doing in my role, is giving these mentors the proper training. Anybody can be a mentor, but, you know, you want to be making sure that your mentees are understanding state game laws, doing things ethically, teaching them from start to finish, right? So how do we scout? How do we hunt this specific animal? Harvesting the animal. And, and then, of course, you know, it goes into processing the animal. So so essentially, field to table almost, right? right? Like right. super, super important, all of those steps. So, so much more goes into just being a mentor. And the people underneath the First Hunt Foundation that are mentors, that's what they are. They are just amazing people. People and, and they understand this, and that is their passion, and that's what they want to do is teach these new hunters that A to Z process. So you mentioned that there's definitely background checks, which I think is a great idea. Is, yeah. there, is there actual training for the mentors, or is it just here's the expectations? You know, we know you're a lifelong hunter. You pass the background check. You have the passion. Here's what we want you to do, and basically what you just described. So there's definitely tools that are given. There's a mentor's creed that you agree to, which is really neat, and that can be viewed on the First Hunt Foundation website. But that is one thing that I want to do under Share the Heritage Program is really, really develop that mentorship, right? So really give them every tool in the toolbox to be the best mentor she can be. All right. Well, we are going to have to wrap things up here pretty soon. But I guess before we do, I'd like to know, do you have any events coming up that fall under the umbrella for your new job as the National Director of Share the Heritage? Well, so definitely things are are in the process. I've got a lot of really big ideas tossing (laughs) around in my old brain here. You know me well enough to know it's constantly going. Oh, yes. I'm very excited because I am participating in my first hunt mentor hunt coming up here in Washington State for turkeys. I have coming up here in Washington. I have two female mentees. I am so excited about it. So I'll be taking a couple ladies out hunting and getting my feet wet and within the First Hunt Foundation and my new role. That is fantastic. Before we go, let's give folks the website for the First Hunt Foundation. Sure. It is firsthuntfoundation.org. And if they want to reach out to me, any gals that have any ideas or want to jump in, they can reach me at Rachel V at firsthuntfoundation.org. 
All right, that email, rachelv at firsthuntfoundation.org if you want to become a women mentor. And if you just want to become a mentor, no matter what your gender is, go to firsthuntfoundation.org. Check out the website, get started, and volunteer today. And if you're listening and just want to be a hunter and you haven't been one yet, go to that website as well and sign up to be mentored. Rachel, thanks for what you do, and thanks for sharing this with us today on America Outdoors Radio. Thanks so much. We started off the show talking a lot about fishing tournaments, and we're going to end the show that way, too. When you think of the pros in Major League Fishing and the Bassmaster Elite, they're invariably driving fiberglass boats that are 20, 21 feet long, have a 250-horse outboard on them, and can get up to 70 miles an hour. But you know what? Sometimes you can compete in a smaller and lighter boat, too, even an aluminum boat. That's what happened recently at Cherokee Lake in Tennessee, where Major League Fishing was having one of their tournaments. Now, the angler in question was Keith Pochet, and his boat is an aluminum boat. It's a Gator Tracks boat, and he is not afraid to bump that thing up against the rocks. As a matter of fact, he was fishing right below a spillway. His boat tops out with a top speed of like 48 miles an hour. So he couldn't make these long runs. He went to the spillway and decided he was going to live or die there. Well, he lived there. He succeeded there. And in two days, he caught 10 bass weighing 35 pounds, 6 ounces, earning him the win by 1 pound and 1 ounce over the second place finisher. How'd Poche catch his fish? Well, he was just casting a 4-inch Berkeley power bait hollow belly on a 3-8 ounce jig head into the boiling water below the spillway and letting the current carrying it to carry it to mainly smallmouth bass, but also an occasional largemouth holding just below. And as for the winnings, well, that was pretty impressive. Major League Fishing pays out well, and for winning first place, Keith Poche got a $100,000 check. Maybe he'll spend it on a new bass boat, but then again, maybe he'll stick with what he's got, because that gator track seems to be working pretty darn well for him. Congratulations, Keith. On that note, it is time to go, but here's hoping you are blessed in the days ahead. Here's hoping you get out for some fishing, too, and maybe some turkey hunting as well. There's a lot going on out there this spring. Until next time, do remember this. It is your country and your outdoors, so get out there and enjoy it. (laughs) 